Now, it's time to put it all on the table through mediation. Your host, Teresa E. Keeves, is a professional mediator, here to educate, inform, enlighten, and inspire everyone about the great benefits in the process of professional mediation to resolve conflicts, disagreements, and disputes relating to business or personal matters. Now, here's your host, Teresa E. Keeves. Good morning to you all. I am happy to be here with you today. I am Teresa E. Keeves, and I am your host for Put It All on the Table Through Mediation, coming to you from beautiful Arizona, and uh, which is not sunny at all right now. But nevertheless, the atmosphere is still great. I want to say that I thank you for listening to my show. I surely appreciate your time. And my show topic for today is Let's Talk in General. We're just going to have some general talk today. You know, like, so you're saying to yourself, uh, really, Teresa, what do you mean in general? Well, you might be saying out there, oh, this is what I mean, is that there are a number of topics that I can talk about with you that I feel will be of interest to you, my listeners out there. And I refer to it as hitting it thorough, but quick. So, As I said, I have a number of items that I'm going to discuss with you about later on in the show. However, I want to get, you know, as much as I can done possibly, you know, within the time that I have here on TalkZone.com. So I thought that this would be something good to start, you know, where I can talk about um, items, you know, kind of summarize it. And then maybe in some other shows, I'll broaden it out. And then in addition we are going to talk about when um, neither side wins nor loses in the mediation process. You know, what a person wants, take a back seat to what a person needs. Now, should you have any questions or comments, please do not hesitate to give me a call at 1-888-463-6748 or email me at Teresa at radiotalkshow.expert. Okay, moving on. How was your week, everybody? I hope that it was fabulous. I hope that you got to do all the things that you wanted, like relaxing, maybe having a little bit of playful week. I know football is 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 coming up. We got the, the Super Bowl here um, in, in Arizona, so that's a real big thing for us here. You know, and also getting things done around the house. You know, my uh, weekend was good, although I'm still dealing with this virus. Oh, uh, my God. Can we say OMG is all I can say as a reference to this virus. That is one. of It is one of the most stubborn I have ever encountered. And, you know, I talked a bit about this last week um, with uh, my brother, uh, Reginald Campbell, who was on. And, um, you know, he had been saying that in the recent years that because of his employee that he has to go and take the flu virus shot. He has to take the shot, particularly, you know, before the season of the flu, you know, is in full swing because, you know, he encounters so many varying clients and so forth. Well, needless to say, he suggested as well as my sister that I start taking the flu shots each year. Well, I want you to know that I have put more thought into it, but I'm still leaning towards not taking the flu shot. (sighs) 
it's not because I have a fear of needles or anything like that, you know, like um, as my guest last week was descriptive in telling me how small the needles are. And, you know, yeah, I hear you, brother. But I think that I need to slow it down just a little bit and reengage my body in the things that I know will strengthen it from being vulnerable to the flu virus, for example. So, all right. So you're saying, okay, hush, Teresa, talking about it and get it done. Okay. You know, I said to you that I'm lining up guests and topics that I hope will interest you and that you will tune in and maybe even engage in the conversation as well. I'm excited to tell you that on February 12th, which is two weeks from today, my guest will be attorney Tracy Essex. He is located here in the Phoenix area and he has a law firm. And his law firm is named Essex Law. I love that. It kind of sounds like a television program. This topic of discussion will be about bankruptcy. He is one of the best of the best to discuss this matter. I have known Tracy for a very long time. And he specializes in this field. He specializes in other fields, but he specializes in the field of bankruptcy. He has years of knowledge. And, you know, he is very good to talk about this subject matter. So he is going to be my bankruptcy subject matter expert on this date. He will talk about a number of items, you know, during the visit of my show to shed some light, some understanding about bankruptcy, because to some people, you know, talk just talking about bankruptcy can make them shudder and or and or some of them, you know, it's like elusive. They really don't understand it. You no matter where you are, you may hear um, advertisements about bankruptcy you can file but you really don't really know the whole specifics even if you should go in and actually talk to some of these people that you may hear advertising on your television or radio programs and then he's also going to talk about items that can be mediated in the bankruptcy um, filing and what items cannot be mediated that must be litigated under the bankruptcy laws. Now, bankruptcy mediation is not my, <clears throat> excuse me, not my forte, but therefore this is why I'm having all of these varying guests on here so that I can learn a, more about bankruptcy and how it, what and how can be mediated in this process and you, my listeners, can learn as well. Okay. He's also going to talk about Chapter 7 and Chapter 11 and Chapter 13, you know, as I said, this is a subject matter that still a lot of people are not sure about or they have some apprehension about, you know, like where can I file, you know, what is the criteria for doing so? What chapters do I fall under, a chapter I fall under, you know, what's all involved, you know, and um like he and I were talking yesterday, a lot of people want to know, well, if I have if I have a house. Can I file? Will I lose my house if I file? You know, so these are just some of the things my guest and I will be talking about. And uh, and it's going to be another interesting and another lively subject. Now, once again, that is going to be happening on February 12th at 8 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. So mark your calendars, listeners, and please share this information with your family and your colleagues. Okay, now. You know, I always have to talk about other things initially before getting into the 
the real, 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 real topic here. Can we talk about Apple for a brief moment? It's another OMG, all right? And I don't mean the Granny Smith Apple or the Macintosh Apple. I'm talking about the organization Apple, you know, the one where the infamous and talented Steve Jobs spearheaded. I'm sure you all heard about the numbers that came out in the news yesterday. You know, how many iPhones were sold. Well, CNN Money reports that Apple sold 74.5 million iPhones in the last three months, not since it was introduced in the last three months. Now, they said that ha- that helped Apple's profits soar more than 37% to $18 billion, billion B with a B billion. That's larger than Gazprom's 16.2 billion profit during the first quarter of 2011. Now, that previous profit record posted by a, co- a corporation, I mean, it's just it's phenomenal, isn't it? Now, going on, the report goes to say, goes on to say rather that Apple also posted a stunning 74.6 billion in sales, up nearly 30% from the last period last year. That's not close to a global corporate record, but it's the best quarterly revenue Apple ever posted. And that Interest in Apple products is at an all-time high, shattering our high expectations, said CEO Tim Cook on a conference call with analysts. This volume is hard to comprehend. Hello, I guess so. That is just awesome. It's awesome. This just goes to show you, listeners, how an idea that was brewing in an individual's mind then put to paper then started being developed in a garage in California that was being tested and reimagined and perfected numerous of times for years has become one of our most profound inventions of all times. The iPhone and all of his brothers and sisters, like the iPod, the iPad, the Mac computer, the Mac tap laptop, uh, and by the way, I have these things that I'm sure like a lot of you out there do, you know, how, you know, it, it's, it's, it's just phenomenal, you know, all of which comes with numerous colors. You know, you can go in the Apple store and you have all of these different colors and all of the varying components that could come with it, all the different technology strengths, you know, how many gigabytes and storage capabilities you want and need. And let's not forget that there have been and continues to be a number of good competitors out there in the technology world, you know, as against uh, uh, Apple. And they have dipped into their market share over the years. There's no doubt about it. Meaning, you know, Apple's market share has been taken. Some of it has been taken, but apparently not to the point of slowing them down or even giving them a, a scare that we are on your heels of progress. And let's not forget one of his newest cousin, the Beats by Dr. Dre that they acquired recently, which Apple, um, I'm, I'm calling it Apple's newest cousin. 
And this also comes in varying styles and colors. I just love all of that. I love going into the into the Apple store. And right now I'm um, on the market to buy another desktop top because my desktop is, is starting to 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 get on there. And uh, where I've, I've basically like you to its capacity. So uh, but it lasted for a very good while. I've had it now for like six years so um, I'm in the market of, of looking at, at another one. All right. Every week I have a story that I would like to tell you about a case that I either heard in mediation or I heard in a court proceeding. And that I hope that you enjoy these stories that I tell. Well, listeners, this week is no different. And I have a case that I would like to share with you that was in justice court recently. Well, this case was about a bride. She was the plaintiff and she was getting married and she arranged to have all the beautiful things, you know, like all of us out there, you know, we're, we're getting married and we want to make sure everything is on point. She's the typical bride and she wants her wedding to be that. She showed me pictures of the place where the festivities were held and, and it was gorgeous. It was, it was really pretty. And what I recall is that it was a beautiful blue mixed with some golds. It was really pretty. She also wanted me to know that she was Middle Eastern and their weddings are not like the traditional weddings that the American brides would have. That's what she said, saying to me. And that the wedding cake was basically one of the highlights of the reception. Well, her story goes that her wedding cake, uh, I'm sorry, her wedding was held in a church. And that the reception was held in this beautiful facility here in Phoenix, Arizona. So now her cake, you know, was her case was about the cake. Okay, so that's what I'm calling it. The case about the cake. As remembering now, the bride told me that the cake is the biggest thing at the reception because she said for Middle Easterners that that's one of the highlights of their the, the reception. So she was suing the bakery that was owned by. Um, the two ladies that she had went into contract with to design and deliver, you know, the cake to her reception. And so the bride who came without any witnesses, she was very good in explaining her case, which was she purchased the cake from the defendant's bakery as this bakery came as a referral, a referral to her and her mother. And she said that the cake was huge, which is, which is what she wanted. She wanted this really big cake. As a matter of fact, you know, as I was reviewing the pictures, I could clearly see that the cake was a three, um, a three tier cake. And, um, you know, it, 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 and it, it wasn't like on, um, on a table. I do recall that it was sitting kind of low, you know, it was lower. It was on a table of some sort, but it was, it was kind of low. But, um, anyway. She, she got this cake. She was all at the, all at the reception and everything like that. And then things just started going downhill. Now I'm going to finish my story and be right back after we take a short break. Internet Talk Radio. Now it's time to put it all on the table through mediation. Here's your host, Teresa E. Keeves. Thanks for returning. This is Teresa E. Keeves, your host on Put It All on the Table. And I just would like to remind you, should you have any questions or comments, please give me a call at one triple eight 
888-463-6748. Now, before we went on break, I was telling you this story about this bride who was in court because she was suing the defendant for um, a cake disaster. All right. Now, when I left, before we left, I said that as I looked at the pictures, I could see that the cake was huge. It was three layers, but the cake had to be at least three feet tall. It was huge. Um, I also noticed what I noticed about the cake, beside it being very large and and tall, that it didn't have a, a topping. You know, keep this in mind as I continue. And what I mean by a topping is that it didn't have, like some cakes will have um, uh, a, a bride or groom or some other type of uh, festive topping on it. It didn't have that, although it was very beautiful. Well, the defendants delivered the cake to the reception venue as planned, and everything went well. There were no accidents in the transit of it, no missing parts, no nothing. It was good to go. And that's what she stated to me. That she said it was it was great. Okay, well, here we go. The defendants delivered the cake, as I said, and there were no issues. The bride reviewed the cake before the defendants left, signed off on it, and the festivities went, you know, were underway. Well, remember I said it had no topping. And I've also said what I meant by that, that there was, for example, no bride or groom on the top of this cake. Okay. So what had been decided on is that her mother would put a topping on the cake. So the story goes that her mother went to her car and as I said, apparently this is something that was decided on before. And and the, the mother of the bride put this topping on this on this cake. Now, come on guys, you know that this is a disaster waiting to be waiting to happen. The bride stated that she noticed that the cake was leaning and there was a bit of there was a a, a, a bit, you know, she said a bit, but I'm I'm thinking a small crack. Um a small crack that was in the in the cake. And um so that's why she was suing the defendants. Not only was it a small crack, guys, let me backtrack. Not only was it a small crack, but I could see the, you know, as the as she was showing me the 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 pictures, you know, in chronological order, that the cake, you know, even you know, it was standing very straight upright, but then it it's it looked like it was it was leaning. Okay. So she was suing the defendants as she said that it was their fault that the cake was now destroyed and she was seeking the cost of not only the cake, but she was seeking, seeking the cost for the whole reception venue, her dress, the bridesmaid's dress, her mother's dress, everything. She was suing them for everything. Okay. The defendants took pictures of the cake prior to leaving as they said that this is a standard practice with them, which is, which is great. Okay. Now, I thought it was very thoughtful. And okay, I said, well, all right, they have the pictures of where the cake was good. So now I have a question. So what would you have done in this case? Would you have given the plaintiffs any money back or would you have sided with the defendants? Well, I can tell you that I sided with the defendants. Come on now. After listening to the testimonies and examining the evidence and the plaintiff admitted that not only did her mother, see, this is what happens when you let people continue to talk. 
Not only did her mother put the, the, the topping on the cake, but there was also some sort of scuffling during the reception near the cake. Okay. Again, I'm going to say really, you know, I think, you know, I think, you know what I did. She was very, very angry as I made my decision, but, um, as I, you know, reviewed all of the, the evidence and listened to the testimony and, and with the laws that's involved, um, she knows that the uh, defendants were not responsible for this. This is something that she did and that perhaps she was still angry over the matter and wanted to reach out at someone. And so why not reach out at the, at the defendants? Okay. The topic of our show is let's talk in general. There's a gentleman by the name of Lee Roche of mediation.com. And he recently said, you can't always get what you want in mediation. He further states that in mediation, there is a lesson learned when neither side wins or loses. What a, ter- what a person wants takes a back seat to what they need. Okay, now we all know about the hierarchy of needs. One of the best known theories of motivation created by the psychologist Abraham Maslow. You know, you all have at one time or another seen the peer, the, the, the hierarchy, the pyramid of hierarchy and its other and is often displayed, as I said, as a pyramid with the most basic needs at the bottom and the more complex needs at the at the top or the peak, however you want to put it. All right. Now, we are not going to have a conversation about the aforementioned. We're not going to get all into the, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. However, I brought it up as showing that in the mediation process, the disputants have a need, which is to come to an amicable resolution. All right. Now, in these in these needs are needs. (laughs) That's what I'm calling it. Okay. These needs have needs. And in order to get to this amicable resolution, there's something, there are things that are needed, such as there's a need to be heard, to be given the opportunity or opportunities, which in my opinion is a motivator for individuals, you know, the chance in in a venue to talk where they can be clearly heard without interruption and or being told what to say and or given such small time to talk, you know, they're, they're given this opportunity to get all of their thoughts put out on the table. Okay. So to speak. And therefore in this process of them talking, now this is one side gets his chance. The other side gets, gets his chance, their chance as well. Then the hope is, is that we have openness we have some understanding and things start developing from all involved in the mediation process. Lee Rosh also says that there is a lesson learned when neither side wins nor loses in the mediation process. And so, you know, do you guys agree with that? Well, I, I just want to tell you that what I think. Okay. And for all of you who have been tuning into my program, you know, you have heard me talk about this, which is in the mediation process, I give my disputants a platform to be heard. I want them to know 
that it is okay to speak openly about the reason or reasons that they are now finding themselves within this process. Now, when I say openly and they are given a platform to be heard, this doesn't mean that this is a forum where they can unload their anger, start getting up, shouting, banging on the table, you know, being very, you know, being loudly or or vicious. Although this can't happen sometimes in a mediation, as all of my peers out there know. But in a manner where you express your points, you know, reasonably, intelligently, and also keep an account of time that's involved to tell your story. Because when you give a person the opportunity to tell their side of the story, a lot of times they think that they could take three or four hours to do this. Like, for example, I have had individuals come into a mediation process and, of course, they come in with documents. And we never know what is entailed in all these documents. Well, I have had them come in with, um, let's say, an inch, an inch, inch to an inch and a half binder. And uh, that inch and inch and a half binder, it contains just their just their talk, just their opening statement, so to speak, let's say. And then that's when the mediator has to come in and deal with that time. OK, now regarding lessons learned when neither side wins nor loses. Absolutely. I believe in lessons learned in the mediation process. As this is where the disputants can listen not only to themselves, but listen to the other side and take in what is being said within the mediation process from all involved and learn things that spurred the mediation process in the first place. Obtaining some, like Oprah Winfrey says, aha moments about the situation or situations at hand. And then therefore the disputants have learned something or more than one thing that is the hope that will not be repeated in their lives. Remembering time is our most precious commodity and we should not want to do the same things over and over and over again. Okay. Now, what I want to say about wins and losses, well, you know that there are going to be times during the mediation process that the disputants from one side or maybe both sides do not totally agree with the resolution or the resolutions that's at hand that has been put on the table. All right. No one, you know, I I, want to say that, but they know that for all purposes going forward, that this or these items that are on the table are the best solutions in order for them to move forward in their lives. Okay. No one is being harmed, you know, in the resolution that's on the table, you know, no one is being harmed. Nothing outlandish is being asked of any other the disputants that are in this mediation process. And for me, it is a win-win Solution, because in life, there are always going to be items that need resolution from who is taking the kids to school to who is cooking dinner to um, 
you know, one car is in the shop for repair, you know, you know, to my neighbor olive tree is growing over my fence to a misdiagnosed health problem. Oh, boy. And it could be bigger than this. I'm just saying that the more we can, you know, be expeditious in alleviating ourselves of having things that need resolution or resolutions, the more flourished in a positive manner our lives will be. We will continue our talk. We need to take a quick break and I'll be back with you in a couple of minutes. Do you have disagreements with your landlord regarding your home or apartment that you are renting? Or have you fallen behind in your HOA payments and you cannot reason with the HOA Association for resolution of your issues? I can assist you. I am an independent professional mediator. My name is Teresa E. Keeves. Give me a call at 480-283-7270. Or email me at Teresa at mediationtalkshow.expert. You do not have to litigate your disagreements. They can be professionally mediated. The process of professional mediation is an effective, efficient, timely, and less costly method for resolving your disputes. Please give me a call for a 0283-7270. You're listening to Put It All on the Table Through Mediation with Teresa E. Keeves. Thank you for returning to my show. Before we um, took a break, we were talking about the importance of um, alleviating ourselves of having things that need resolution in our lives. Because the more uh, we alleviate ourselves of of um, uh, our issues uh, or and or our disagreements, the more flourished in a positive manner our lives would be. And I, you know, I just want to further comment too that, you know, uh, some people in the mediation process may say, "Well, I'm taking a back seat to to what it is that I need, you know, to what it is that I need and and what I what I want." Well, the analogy, a good analogy of this is. Um, going to the um, car dealer. All right. You see this car and uh, well, you have this car in your mind. So you go to the car dealer and you have all the bells and whistles that's that's loaded on there. And then once you see the car, the car is out of your budget. So then more times often than not, you should want to um, stay within your within your means, within your budget um, constraints that you have put there, which is not a bad thing. But you still can get um, what it is that you need. But by selecting the car, you may not get all of the things that you want. But however, you still will have what it is that you need. Okay. All right. I am starting something new here on my show. And I I mentioned it to you earlier. And uh, it's called Quick General Discussions, where I have a list of items that I feel that are important to you, my listeners, and they are also good discussion points, too. So, all right, let's get started. For example, who should speak first in the mediation process? I'm asked this a lot. You know, is it the person who brought um, the, 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 the mediation, meaning the person who initialized it, or is it going to be the person who's on the other side of the table who they are having the issue or issues with? 
I will tell you that typically in my mediation, um, it is the individual who brought the mediation um, to the forefront. The one who says, you know, I want to have, I want to mediate about this or, you know, some, some issue going on or whatever. And so then they get the chance to, to speak first. This does not mean that the other party is being discounted in any way. And there, there's sometimes depending on the case that I will explain that I will let them know that they are not being discounted in any way. What they have to say is no less important than what this person is saying, but however, because this individual or this ind- these individuals brought this to the table to talk about, therefore they get the opportunity to say what it is first and then we could proceed um, along with the process. Okay. Now, next question. What happens when the mediator missummarize? What do you mean by that, Teresa? Well, what I mean by that is that, as you guys know, in the mediation process, we, the mediator, will summarize the case. And I have been in, <clears throat> excuse me, mediations where the mediator has unfortunately totally missed the point of um, regurgitating back what this, the you know, what the, the case is about. Now, how do you rectify yourself from that? Well, you can do several things for all of us peers out there who, you know, are, are very well experienced in things. We know that we can do several things. We can immediately right then and there, um, you know, say, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I misspoke. This is what I, I should have said. You know, this is what is actually happening. This is what, you know, is, is actually whatever it is that you misspoke about. You need to clean it up right then and there, because we always want to make sure that we are are uh, looked at as a professional. We always want that we are looked at as the person that is in control. We always want to make sure that we are the person who um, who has all the wherewithal to guide this process so that the people that are sitting here at the table with us can totally depend on us to help them to come to an amicable resolution. But as I said, you know, this this happens, you know, it happens, you know, probably pretty frequently. But, you know, there there are certain things that I do that I have totally incorporated for me and um, to make sure that, you know, that this does not happen. Um, am I a perfect human being? No, I'm not, because if I were, I would be sitting up there with God, drinking green tea and eating at a mommy and watching you guys down here. But um, uh, what I do, some of the things that I do is that, you know, I'm, you know, I make sure that my listening skills are on point. There's, you know, I always make sure that if I, if the need be that if I, if I have to take notes, then I, I do that. Some people, some, um, you know, um, of my peers, and it all depends on your style. Everybody has a style, but some people, um, don't, don't take notes. 
um, because for one thing, they they have a fear that maybe the disputants will look at them like, okay, look at the notes that they're taking. They, you know, are, are they really sure of what it is they're doing? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, that right there, I will explain to people in the beginning that you will see me taking notes and I'll, exp- and I'll explain to them why, you know, you could say something like, well, that this helps me to make sure that I'm on point in hearing exactly what it is that you're saying. And people love that. They love that. They love to know that you hear clearly and succinctly exactly what it is that they're saying. So when you are summarizing, if you need to have, if there's a need to summarize something or go back on something and you're listening to a lot of information, you're taking in a lot of information, there's nothing wrong with invoking our listening communication skills. Nothing at all. Nothing wrong with that. Okay. How do you manage conflict between yourself and the participants? Okay. Once again, you may say, Teresa, please explain that question. Okay. Well, I have been once again, cause I'm, a, I am an observer. Um, I have been, um, in a mediation and or, and or God, this one time, this is early in my career where I was co-mediating and, um, one of the co-mediators was getting a little bit tempered, let's say. The uh, disputants were somewhat somewhat tempered. And for some reason, this person was allowing themselves. And and I was, you know, doing my best to figure out, like, why um, to get involved in, in that. OK, now we. As you know, we are there to make sure that we garnish the peace. At least I do. All right. Because that's what it is. We're, we're, where there's a lot of things about mediation. And for me, one of the premises is, is maintaining peace so that we can come to an amicable resolution. We got to have some, there's got to be some peace in the valley so that we can be heard, so that we can get all the thoughts out and so forth and so on. So what happened um, is that I called caucus and I stepped out with this individual and I talked to this individual. That was number one. And um, they did admit, OK, yeah, I, I did find myself. But did you hear this? I said, yes, I, I heard exactly what they said. But you do not let that uh, affect you. All right. You can't you can't do that because that's that's bad business for you. Um, the other thing, when I did go back into the um, mediation, I somewhat did, um, um, uh, you know, a forgiveness, a mea culpa um, to the disputants and um, also ringing them in about um, settling down so that we can have a good uh, a bantering, a good conversation of exactly what's what what your needs are what you, what your wants are and you know just to the, you know just to calm the the situation down that is a good segue into my next question which is is caucus all of that and a bag of chips <laughs> for me yes um a lot of my peers out there um do not necessarily invoke caucus at all 
during their mediation process. Um, for me, I do. I invoke it at every single mediation that I have. I love it because this way, for me, I can get the disputants to talk about things that they want to say, okay, because we're looking on wants and needs that they want to say, but they're, you know, uncomfortable, uncomfortable to say it in front of the other person. Okay. And so this way, in order to achieve what it is that I want these parties to achieve, I will ask for a caucus. And by you, you know, by you having, you know, tender under your belt, all of my peers out there, we can basically tell when we need to have a caucus about something, whether you could tell that a disputant or maybe both dis, uh, disputants want to say something and they're there. You can feel that I'm not really sure I want to say it in front of them. And so you call caucus. I think, I think um, there, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of great things there in caucus. We're going to take a break right now and I will be back with you in a couple of minutes. Please stay tuned. Thank you. that bullying in the workplace and in our schools, whether it's grammar schools or high schools, is becoming more and more prevalent. This includes the rise of verbal abuse and physical abuse to our senior citizens. As a matter of fact, bullying is on the cusp of becoming a dominant occurrence in today's society. For example, CareerBuilder.com survey of 2012 noted that about 50% of all workplace bullying goes unreported. And NBC News reported that bullying statistics of 2013 for senior citizens is on the rise in America. And that statistics for bullying-related incidences in our schools, well, unfortunately, it is on the rise. If you find yourself being bullied in school or in the workplace and you need someone to help resolve your differences with professionalism, fairness, impartiality, and given a platform to be heard, give me a call. Professional mediator Teresa E. Keys at 480-283-7270 or email me at Teresa at mediationtalkshow.expert. Welcome back to Put It All on the Table Through Mediation. Here again, Teresa E. Keeves. Thank you for returning. I certainly appreciate it. We are in a um, portion of my program that is, is, is something new that I'm, that I'm developing here. And, uh, because I still deem myself, you know, uh, somewhat of a newbie, uh, here at talkzone.com. Although this is now my 10th show. Yay. I'm applauding myself. I'm very, 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 very happy and pleased to be, um, here on talkzone.com, being able to give, being able to have a platform to be heard, I guess you can say for myself. We're. We're in a session that's called Quick General Dims, and this is where um, I'm, I'm discussing uh, varying topics. And, um, it, you know, instead of um, having like, a, um, you know, a show about it, um, we could talk um, in general about it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, the last question I, I talked about was, um, is caucus all of that in a bag of chips? Now, the, I want to move on to how important our communication skills and writing skills 
for the mediator. Okay. They are extremely important. You need to have, <clears throat> excuse me again. I'm sorry. We need to have some right. We need to have not some, but we need to have writing expertise. We need to have that because this is the very premise of the, you know, of wording the resolution. Now, I've said many, many times, and my peers out there know that the dis- the disputants will say things. You know, they'll say, "Okay, I want, I want them to, um, to uh, let's go to the olive tree. I want them to uh, cut the the olive tree." All right, so, all right, that's fine. You want them to cut the olive tree, but let's say it where you know the olive tree will be cut or pruned. But let's, you know, let, you know, let's say it so that it'll be better understood so that if anything ever comes from this, that let's say the individual who needs to prune their olive tree has fallen short on doing what they have agreed to in this mediation, then you can always um, say, look, you said this is a signed agreement that you said that you would do this, this, that and the other. So. Being able to help the um, people involved in the process to to be able to to write their resolution down so that it is well understood that all parties uh, have agreed to what what it is, you know, being written. They're all reading it. So they all, you know, see it. They all comprehend it and they, they all can put their two cents in it. But of course, but once again, you know, it's good that we as a professional mediator have have that good writing skills and, you know, which also piggybacks greatly on communication skill because the communication skills isn't only um, the ability of speaking well, it is also the ability of hearing well. Okay. And and hearing exactly what it is that is being said in the process and not just hearing what it is you want to be what you want to hear, but hearing exactly what it is in in this process that um that that the, the, the disputants are, are talking about, which is why you also need when you when you hear well, then you'll also have not only good communication skills, but you'll also have good summarization uh, skills. So all of these things that I'm talking about are all, of course, tied in together um, so that we can, um, you know, have great assurances of having a, you know, a good, you know, amicable uh, resolution in, in our mediation process, because we we don't want people you know, expensing their time and their monies and, and then they're not, you know, being, you know, satisfied, uh, with, with what is being, um, you know, what is happening here in the mediation process. Okay. Now, the next question. When do, when do you know revenge is in the mix and what do you do about it? Okay. Um, I've been in mediations where you can tell that um, an individual is embarking on, um, I'm going to get you for 
this. So we're going to go to mediation and <clears throat> excuse me, I'm going to um somehow I, you know, somehow I want to, you know, uh this, you know, to to make you look bad in, in front of in front of other people for whatever the whatever the reasons are, which will all come out in mediation. In in mine, I do because I find out a lot of things about people. But um um, you know they 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 they're 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 wanting some revenge. They're not really looking for an uh an amicable resolution. They're looking more for revenge and or in their resolution, which is not amicable because now we got revenge in the midst mix. So how can it be amicable when revenge, which is negative, is in the mix? Okay. Um, they, they want to, some of their stuff is that, that they want from the other side of the party is so outlandish that, you know, that's, that is just really, it's not going to happen. So what you do as being a guide in the mediation process and which I, which I have to call on my friend caucus and, um, I, I have a caucus and then, you know, you discuss this you know, with the individual in individuals separately. Okay. And privately, and you discuss this and you very professionally let them know what you see taking place. You don't go in there and say, I see you saying this and I'm hearing you say, you know, you that that's not what mediation is about. You know, you could bring it to them in a way where they, you know, will understand and they will see what it is they're saying and what it is they're doing and what the results of that can be, because you have to remind them that, um, that they've, they've come here for a resolution. They did not come here to spend money and take other people's time and things like that just because they don't have anything else to do or just because they're very angry. You know, you let them know, I understand your anger um, that you're, you know, that you have because, you know, you were, you felt that you were wrong. You know, I, I get that. But, <clears throat> excuse me, you, you know, then this is when you reemploy the fact that they have to leave all of that at the door. They have to let that stay outside. And if you want to pick it up, you can pick it up again when you leave. But, you know, it needs to stay all of that anger and, and, um, things like that needs to stay outside outside of the door so that um, we can have a, a clear, you know, a clear um, and a good meeting so that we can, you know, go forward in our lives and, and have the best lives possible, you know. So the other, um, the other thing, one last question I want to ask is that do we, have goals of elevating participants ability to resolve conflicts in the future. All right. I have about two minutes here. I see that we do. And I say that guys, because as we are going through the process of mediation, the hope is that the disputants are learning and they're learning from us because we are their guide, right? And so they're hopefully that they're picking up on some tools of, of, of how to resolve disagreements in the future that they can, you know, we, you know, I'm, an, I'm not expecting them to be, uh, professional, you know, resolutionists, 
like we are. That's what I'm calling, called a resolutionist, <laughs> like we are. However, I do expect that during the process, they had, they had some, uh, they acquired, um, some skills of listening, um, some patience. And, um, and through this, they will have learned how to gather, um, garnish some tools that they can use to resolve issues. And they, you know, so that this way they don't have to always show up in, in, you know, a mediation or a litigation to resolve their issues that the hope is that they will be better, um, manage, man, you know, better to manage their disagreements. Okay. Well, I want to say that I truly enjoy talking to you as I always do. I enjoyed, um, you know, talking about, I'm, I'm liking this, um, this, uh, uh, quick general topic area. I think I'm going to do more of this in my, in my, um, uh, on my shows. And the hope is, is that you will join in with me. Uh, please don't forget that attorney Tracy Essex is going to be my guest on the 12th of, um, of, of February. And also, and just think this is the last week in January. Yikes. Okay. And then also, um, in February, I'm going to have a round table of this. I reinvite my brother. I'm also going to have a PhD. Um, matter of fact, I'm going to have two PhDs in this discussion. So, uh, we're going to be talking about, um, it, it's going to be in the healthcare arena. I haven't, I haven't gotten that show's topic down yet, but just know that it's coming in the future. Thank you so much for listening to me. I truly enjoy once again talking to you. And I want to say in closing, as always, be kind to yourself and be kind to others. This is Teresa Keys. See you next week. 